Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Game Talk Radio. I'm your host, Greg, of course, with me again is John. Today is a big deal, though. This is this is number 200, episode number 200 of Game Talk Radio. When I started this, I don't think I ever thought I would get to 200, uh, <laughs> let alone have people listening. Um, but it has been quite you know, quite the journey. I mean, it's been four, roughly four years, a little bit, a little bit over four years. I think I started in October of 2015, maybe, or 20, 2016. I, for, I forget what it was, but anyway, it doesn't matter. I mean, over four years of, of podcasting and, and entertaining all of you. And it's been a lot of fun because we just slowly pick up people over the years. And, uh, and as you gain more people, you get more listens and more, you know, you just get more and more people. Like it just grows and grows naturally. And it's, it's pretty fun. Um, so John's with me again. Uh, John, uh, now if you listen every single week, you notice that Friday I put up like a special episode and I want to make it very clear that that was not a normal episode. It was not episode 200 because that's for me and John. That was a special like thing for us, but it was a, it was a rare opportunity I had to chat with somebody who I've wanted to podcast with for a long time. So I couldn't pass up the opportunity and, uh, and it, and it was fun to do. Uh, with that being said, John's back with me again. And and the first thing we have to talk about today is a little bit of a little bit of an, an order of business, and and it's it's weird because we just hit this new milestone of of two hundred episodes of Game Talk Radio, and I find myself feeling like almost bored with the current format. And so if people are listening out there, like, oh man, come on, don't say that. I just started listening, and it's <laughs> really good. Well, thank <laughs> you, first of all. But let me let me also say that it doesn't mean I don't want to do podcasts anymore. I love sharing my knowledge and sharing my experience with anyone who's willing to listen and hear it. So I want to continue that. I just have to figure out how to continue that. And so I think what we're going to do is I still want to release something almost every single week. I'm thinking though, instead of just having game talk radio, which is our news show, talk about news stories, dive deep into stuff. John and I talk about the games we picked up that week. What if we, you know, rolled it into other ideas, you know, and John and I are actually going to have a brainstorming session on f- this coming Friday about it, but we want to do something different. Like I want to do maybe, maybe once a month I do, we do a show just about collecting video games. Like we talk about how we collect, we pick a topic, we pick maybe a certain category and we talk about our games from that category, games that are on our wish lists, you know, games that are our holy grails of that category um, and stuff like that. Something that focuses on the collecting side, because that's a big part for both me and John. More so probably than the new stuff, actually. I mean, I don't know what you'd say, John, but um, yeah, uh, like, I'm, more so I love the game side of it, yeah. Yeah, I definitely, like, one of the things I would love to do is, uh, like, do, like, like have you over and, like, like take a tour through my collection and, like, look at, at some of the bigger titles that I have and, and make a video out of that. And See, do the same thing with yours. Yeah, that could be super fun. Just like, 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 and talking about the history of the collection, you know, um, because it's, uh, you know, that that's part of the magic of this collecting is like, every, there's always a story behind it, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, so I've been thinking about that. And, and, and there's also something I've really wanted to do for a long time. And it was find these indie game developers, these, these one person, two person teams and I want to interview them and I want to talk to them about their games and I want to get into their head about, you know, how, what, what makes them tick, what's their motivation. And, and there's so many great game developers that put up games on sites like itch.io or even steam, you know, these games are totally free. Uh, 
most of the time and they're so they're like they're the definition of a small indie developer and some of the stuff they're making is incredibly unique and interesting so i would love to i, I want to get more almost into an interview style show as well and so i thought about that and i thought well we you know we could make a game talk radio i guess and you know i think ultimately game talk radio is going to become this umbrella where all these other shows exist on this network if you think of it like that and so that that's ultimately my goal so it's a little it's 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 interesting that it took me to episode 200 to get there but that's kind of where we are and and who knows and if worst case if john and i brainstorm all day friday and we can't think of a better idea than what we're doing we'll probably just keep doing what we're doing because i don't think there's anything wrong with it and, and i do like it i just don't want to get i don't want it to get stale and i don't want to just like feel like i'm i'm showing up every week just to put out some crap <laughs> just so that i have <laughs> something to put out so i don't feel guilty right and i appreciate everyone who listens so much and and the interaction we get on twitter and everything it's just great I love all that. And I don't want to, you know, I don't want to stop that. But I also want to do something that I enjoy doing more than I'm enjoying it now, if that makes sense. And I don't, mm. it, it's such, it's such a weird thing to say. Cause it's like, I literally just get on here and talk video games with my friend. John. So you'd think that'd be enough, <laughs> but after four or five years, you know, and 200 episodes, I think I've gotten to the point where it's some sort of change needs to happen. Um, but one thing I can guarantee you is I'm not going away. So you're not getting rid of me. <laughs> I'm only going to tweak it. We're going to figure it out. Um, with that being said, we have a really interesting thing we're going to talk about today. And this was brought to us by uh, a, a, a Twitter, a, a, a listener of the show and someone on Twitter. It's Hack Diesel. So I just want to give him a shout out right away. But also to say thank you so much for the question. And if we get more interaction like this, we get more people asking us questions. We would do whole shows just based on these questions. That, yeah. that, that's, that's how much I enjoy interacting with all of you and like sharing that knowledge with all of you. It, it's so easy just to, to take an idea. And sometimes people throw an angle at you that you didn't even see coming and, and, and just, you know, something easy and fun to talk about. And I, I love the idea that now, hopefully they like what we have to say. <laughs> about the topics um but it was interesting and it was brought to us by a listener so remember on twitter you can follow me i'm at game trade greg john's at dryer combo tag us both tag one of us my dms are always open slide on in hit me with what you got um no pictures please (laughs) but i'll take messages about questions for the show or even if you said even if you have a suggestion I probably won't take it into consideration, but you could still give it to me. That's fine. <laughs> um, so, with that being said, John, how are you doing today, man? Good. I uh, I am now a regular postal employee, which means that they're no longer trying to kill me by making me work eighty-hour work weeks. Uh, which means I have more time for my family and games and stuff. So, explain this a little bit to me and to the listeners. So. What what kind of employee were you before, and why did you work a bunch of overtime? And now that you're actually an official employee, why do you not have to work any overtime at all? So uh, when you start out at the post office, uh, they have you as a, they call it a part-time position, which is hilarious because you are so much more than part-time. <laughs> like, usually when you go to a job and they're like, hey, uh, this is a part-time job, so like GameStop. Hey, it's a part-time job, so expect like maybe five to ten hours a week if you're lucky. Um, when <laughs> when you go to the post office and they say it's a part-time job, they I, I think they only say that as like a technicality because they can't call you a full-time employee 
because if they call you a full-time employee, then you get a lot more benefits than if you were a part-time employee. Correct. Yeah. And so they have you be a part-time employee for a while until a position opens up. So like, like somebody needs to leave a route for that, for, for one of those part-time employees to be promoted into it. And so it usually takes about two years for a route to come open from a, a carrier retiring or quitting or whatever. And so while you're waiting, it's, it's all based on your hire date and your seniority. So I finally, for about a month, I was at the very top of the list. So I was next to be promoted into a regular employee. And so that happened on Saturday. And uh, I went from, I used to work on the east side of Green Bay. And I would generally punch out at 6 p.m. Uh, to sometimes 8 or 9 p.m. And uh, every day since I've been converted to regular, I'm, I have been punching out at about 3.30 to 4 o'clock. Uh, and Nicole is like, what, what are you doing here? Why are you why are you in my home? Uh, <laughs> shouldn't you be at work? This is weird. We, we don't know each other during the daytime. <laughs> so they basically now they'll hire another part-time person who is the bottom yes. of the list. And then they have to eat crap all day working all these extra hours well the funny thing though is that you make a ridiculous amount of money in overtime as a part-time employee that i won't make anymore (laughs) and so my paycheck is going to be significantly lower now that i'm (laughs) now that i'm a uh, regular full-time government employee than i was when i was a part-time employee so my my paycheck will actually decrease by a lot but like health insurance is substantially better. Um, so like uh, right now, Nicole and my daughter Lyra are on Nicole's insurance. And now that I am a regular employee, we will get both of them on my insurance because uh, my insurance has no, um, uh, what is the the threshold you have to hit before they start paying out? I forget what the hell it's called. Uh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so like you don't have to meet that threshold like it's just like the the insurance is just if you pay for it uh the government pays for whatever your health insurance needs are so it's nice nice so how long how long were you waiting um about a little over a year and a half um i got hired on june 22nd of 2019 so nice Oh, that's great, oh, man. Yeah. Well, congratulations to Thank you, you. And, and to yours. I mean, it you you do it is almost like a test of endurance and patience. Yes, you know, to yes, like, it is. to stick out all that nonsense, and now you now you have it. Now you now they can get rid of you if they wanted to. Now you're part of the union and everything. <laughs> yep. Well, I've been a part of the unions for the whole time, but now like you just get better benefits. The I called up my uh, my buddy that converted before me, and like I called him up at like three fifteen because I was. Uh, I was done with my route and I was like, Hey Johnny, like I'm, I'm done. I'm like, do I just go back to the office and like stare at the punch clock until three 30? Cause you can't punch out <laughs> until like you have to work exactly eight hours. And so when you get back to the office, a lot of times, if you're back before, um, before that eight hours is done, 
like you'll see a lot of the regulars just staring at the punch clock waiting for like 15 or 20 minutes until it hits the the time where they can swipe their card and leave and so like as a as a part-time employee it was always like oh those bastards like, <laughs> look at them just just sitting on their asses and now i get to be one of those people for yep. like if i'm done before beforehand and it just felt so weird so i, I asked honey i'm like do I, do I just go back and he's like yeah it's like oh i mean so could you re- could, could you technically <laughs> just like go drive around or go sit like in your truck at a park or something or is that frowned uh, upon no uh actually yeah some some people do that sort of thing uh if they're but uh you're tracked on your scanner so ah. you do you do that enough and they'd be like what the hell are you doing <laughs> Why do, you, why do you keep stopping at this park every day? Oh, it's just nice and peaceful. I used to do that when <laughs> I installed creeping. when I installed digital cable b- years and years and years ago. I mean, I was like, gonna say when the hell was that? That was before. So I I worked at game, I worked at software etc. for a year and then I left for eight months and then came back. Um, oh, okay. But I had gotten a job installing digital cable. I was I worked for a company called TechStar and they installed digital cable for Charter in the Wausau area. And okay. so every morning I would go to the Techstar office and they would just have like all the jobs for us. They basically say, Hey, like, cause, cause we had, we had call list people in our building for our company. So they, they did calls every night and they got people signed up to try a free digital cable trial. And then we would go, you know, fill all the, uh, we would go fulfill all the orders. And, um, so like, but between jobs, sometimes like I would get, sometimes you get 10 jobs in a day and each job takes roughly an hour um or sometimes you would get like four but then two of the jobs are at 10 to noon and the other two jobs are like three to five like okay so i guess for three hours in the afternoon i'm just sitting around so i had this <laughs> i forget what it's called now but i had bought a handheld nes um, okay <laughs> and and it was actually a handheld famicom so i had to get the adapter to play nes and i used to play mike tyson's punch out all the time <laughs> like while so I was you're waiting. probably you're probably pretty damn good at that game or it's, were it's the one game that always worked. And this was long before, like okay. I understood like cleaning the cartridges and as stupid as it sounds, you know, but like the, the of the games I had, that one always worked. And so I always played it the most, but yeah, I should have just cleaned the cartridges and they all would have worked, but, um, but it was fun all the same. It was funny because, so it played like you've seen a Superboy, right? Like a Superboy. Yeah. So yeah. imagine it looking like that, but then it's an NES cartridge. So it sticks up a lot higher than a Super Nintendo cartridge. Okay. And it's also got an adapter in there because it's meant for Famicom. So the NES <laughs> cartridge with the adapter sticks like a foot up above the <laughs> the system itself. <laughs> it was absolutely asinine. Did um, it use batteries too, I would assume? Oh, and a lot oh, yeah. Of them. oh yeah, it sucked them down, man. I, that was when I had my little... I used to have an all-wheel drive um, uh, Eagle Talon TSI Turbo. And, and that thing was, was really... Like, it was funny because you use your own vehicles when you're a, a technician, but like a contractor. So like, I didn't have a charter truck or anything. So I'd like roll up to someone's house in my, in my Eagle Talon. And, and then <laughs> they, like the, they, you know, they would just look at you like, and then you show up with your name tag on like, oh, I'm here to install your cable. And they're like, why aren't you in a truck? I'm like, I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't got a truck. Um, I've crashed three of them this week. They told me I had to use my own car. I'm yeah, sorry. yeah. They don't. They they said I can't be trusted with the keys anymore. You got anything so. to drink in here? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> what are you guys up to, huh? Um. So anyway, getting back to it, then swinging it back around. Thank you again, uh, Hack Diesel, for giving us the 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 question. Which the question of the day 
and this is our whole topic for the whole show is, and I'm going to read exactly what he tweeted to us because there's there's multi-part stuff going on here, and I'm going to kind of break it down into even a little bit more. But here, here, was, here it was. Podcast question idea. I'd love to hear a 2021 deep dive on the future of collecting, more importantly, future playability for modern consoles, primarily PS4 and Xbox One and newer, with the growing prevalence of day one patches, servers going down, etc. So... Uh, there's a couple things in there, and I'm actually even going to add one to it. But first, we're going to talk about retro collecting right now. So in the year 2021, retro collecting, where it's at, what are prices like, what are hot categories. I, I, I have a lot to add there since I'm seeing a lot of this stuff come in and I'm seeing what the prices are um, in my day-to-day life with what I do for a living. And then we're going to talk about the collecting of future consoles, like or excuse me, the future collecting or the future worth of current consoles. So say, what PS4 or 5 games could you buy right now that might be worth money in the future? So we're going to talk a little bit about limited run games, low print, stuff like that. So we're going to cover a little bit of that. And then lastly, we're going to talk about that last part of the question, which was future playability of modern consoles and the effect of day one patches and online only servers shutting down and all that sort of stuff. So, uh, So those are kind of the three points we're going to hit. And John, to start it off, we're going to talk about the retro collecting in 2021. So when I say retro collecting, I'm going to say anything from PS2, GameCube, original Xbox, and older. So what's what's it like in 2021 collecting older consoles? Now, let me ask you first, are you are you into anything old? I know you still pick up 360 games occasionally, but are you uh, are you looking for anything quote unquote retro at this point? I generally don't anymore um uh the the stuff that i am looking for retro is is generally like weird and kind of specialized um like you have uh you have that um turb graphic 16 super adapter thing at your store mm-hmm. i want that thing <laughs> i don't know the what turbo? the hell it does i don't want the booster in the box Yes. Okay. Like I want that thing, but I I'm I would have a hard time substantiating the two hundred bucks for it. Sure. Um, and like I'm also like, while I have a ridiculous video game collection, I would say I'm kind of like thrifty in what I'm willing to pay for things. Like, very 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 rarely have I paid hundreds of dollars for any one game um recently actually um the like if if a game's more than or like like under five years old like i have a really hard time paying more than retail originally was for it and one of the a couple of the few exceptions that i had recently was i bought that copy of uh uh Yee's seven from you uh lacrimosa of dana the collector's edition yeah yeah so i bought that and then i got fed up of uh, i kept trying to get uh, atelier ryza one <laughs> for ps4 and because wario 64 has posted links to it like probably 30 times in the last like month and a half and every freaking time i kept trying to buy it it was sold out um, and so finally I just said, screw it. And I bought a copy of it for 70 bucks on, on Amazon. Cause it was like the, it was on sale for, for 40. Like it originally came up for 60. I'm paying 
$10 more than it was retail, whatever. Um, yeah, you're like, I just need it. I need to be done. Yeah, because I get that way, too. Like, sometimes you're just done looking for it. I want to put it behind me. You're willing to sacrifice, either pay, overpay, or get it not in the condition you want necessarily, just like just to get it out of your brain. Yeah, like a lot of like I mentioned when I bought it. I mentioned on Twitter in that thread. I said, "Hey, for people that are looking for it, and if you want, there's copies of it on eBay for sixty-five to seventy dollars. If you want to stop being disappointed by it always being gone." And somebody responded to me and it was like, "Well, the point is they want to get it on sale," and I'm like. But are you more <laughs> frustrated every single time it's posted by not getting the sale? Like, would you rather just be done with the chase? And that's where that's what it finally came to me with for me was like, I don't want to deal with this anymore. <laughs> like, I don't want to constantly be disappointed when I get to the to the Amazon order page and, and my cart is empty because like uh, the day I bought it, I I literally was looking at my phone when the wario post went up i immediately clicked on it it went to amazon and i i hit buy buy now instead of the like put in your cart right and it was already gone i was just like screw it um and the only the only other game i can think of that that got crazy expensive very very quickly was uh um disaster report 4 uh, for PS4. Yeah, yeah. And that's another one that, like, I want that game, but I don't want to pay 150 bucks for it. Uh, and, like, it's weird. Like, uh, the, it's so hard to predict what games are going to blow up like that. And that's kind of the reason I collect the way I do. And, like, I, I kind of speculate on a lot of, like, RPGs and stuff because I don't want to miss out on a title like that suddenly exploding in value your kuans and stuff like that right right well and don't forget too a lot of those games like kuan especially like they grew in value a lot over time but yeah. you're not wrong i mean you're, you're like me where anything you buy now you're probably going to keep for quite a while like it's not like back in the day when you'd buy a game and, and you'd hold on to it for a, a you know, a year and then sell it for the same price you paid for it or something like you and I are both at the point with our collections where anything we buy is sitting for a very, very long time. So you might run into that where if you buy a modern game and this was technically the second bullet point, but we'll just roll into it right away because of what you're mentioning is like games like disaster report Four. like what, you know, these are the ones we're talking about with, you know, what future collectability of stuff that's coming out right now. Uh, you know, and it's, there, there's a couple rules I would say that it comes to with collecting that are are constants. One of the constants is anything that's low print is always going to be worth more money in the future. I mean, how much more money? It really depends on if they ever reprint it or obviously things like that. But anything that gets a really low print is going to always be worth more money. And one of the things that gets low prints is oftentimes what we call late life games. So for instance, new PS4 games that are coming out this year and next year are late life PS4 games because the PS5 is yes. already out and the life the, we're on the last legs of the PS4. And so sometimes, you know, you can kind of guess at which games that's going to be, but you never really know. And it, it, so it's like you said, the word you used was perfect. It's prospecting and prospecting is a nightmare. And I can tell you that I've been doing it for the last 
probably three years. I've been prospecting a lot in the last three years. I mm-hmm. couldn't really tell you how well I've done on it yet. <laughs> but again, that's not something you <laughs> should do to sell today. Like, for instance, let me run this down for you. So we'll talk a little bit about limited run games because limited runs first three releases are worth probably what five times to 10 times what they were when they came out originally. So, so breach and clear Saturday morning RPG and odd world, I think was the third one. Okay. Was odd world the third one? Something I, 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 I think it's odd world. <laughs> I think those are the big three. Those are the three most rare, like Vita games essentially. Um, and there might be others too that got low prints, whatever. But the point is that so limited run, uh, I have issues with that company in certain regards, but for the most part, I love what they do. I love yes. that they bring these indie games out and put them on physical discs because I love collecting physical and I love indie games. So being able to have physical copies of indie games, I think is great. Um, but like any company that does what they do really well, like limited run does, they get very big and they get that success. Like, you know, increases the size of their company and, and to be more successful, they have to grow. And so then now we've completely, almost completely transitioned out of with limited run. We've almost completely transitioned out of limited run prints. (laughs) So now almost everything's an open pre-order. Now, arguably it's still a limited run of the game because they only do one run. They don't print like multiple shipments. So like their name is still accurate. But what they used to do back in the day was they would say, hey, we're making a thousand copies of this Vita game. We're making 2,000 of this Vita game. That's it. And the 2,000's gone, they're gone. And so then they, as, as they started getting more popular, I th- what were the first two games that really hit them hard? I think it was Night Trap and Wonder, Wonder Boy. I think those okay. two games, when they came out, they were grossly under the number that they wanted to sell. Like you had, that was the first game I think that the average consumer who wanted to buy it couldn't. And it really caught up to them and they realized they had to kind of change their business model because they couldn't just guess how many copies of a game would sell. You know, I mean, because some, some, some games sold really well, like Shadow Complex didn't sell hardly at all for them. I remember I was able to buy because there was a rule where you could only buy like two copies. Okay. And then if the game didn't sell out by Saturday, it would go on sale Friday morning. If by Saturday night it wasn't sold out, they would open it up and you could buy as many as you wanted to. So I have so like, Shadow Complex wasn't successful for them. It I or mean as it, successful as normal. It did not sell out. It was Saturday afternoon or Saturday night when the email went out, or I think there was a tweet or something saying, "Hey, we've opened up Shadow Complex." I bought like twenty more copies because <laughs> I love that game. Um, yeah. Now that was probably not the best business sense, but now that game's about doubled in value now. So it was a good investment for long term. So it's cool, but you know, so there there's risk on their part as well. But you never know what games are going to take off. Uh, one, now, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, random offshoot. How have they not put Shadow Complex characters in Fortnite yet? Because uh, <laughs> the the team that made that game, Chair Interactive, basically became the Fortnite team, and Donald Mustard, the the director of Chair Entertainment, is basically in charge of Fortnite now. And like, good lord, put shadow complex characters in well, Fortnite. john it could be that there's not a single memorable character from that game i love that game but the main just... character and his his exosuit was fucking cool <laughs> it is cool but it's just like like you, you don't think the of girlfriend in there ah get out of here it just it, it i love the game great gameplay it's a castlevania metroid type but it's not you know it's it's not in your face about it and it just really good game i played on 360 yep. i loved it then they you know they essentially re-released it 
uh, and got a physical update and everything. So it's great. Anyway, you know, Shadow Complex, great game. Um, but, but even limited run was getting to the point where they're like, well, we don't know which games are going to blow up. So we can't just all of a sudden do 2000 copies of everything. Cause if there's 10,000 people that want it, we're losing sales. If there's only a thousand people that want it. We're losing money. So they went to this open pre-order system. Basically once they started carrying switch games, that's when they went to the open pre-order and they do almost everything open pre-order now, which is totally fine. And it's really the best way to do it because anyone who's pay- who's paying attention can get one. And then it still has a potential to go up in value later. All the Shantae games have gone up in value later. Um, and so, which, which is always weird to me because I started to make a lot, lot more of those. Um, <laughs> but what the last thing I'll say kind of about future collecting. So there's those rules I was talking about. So late life, late life games for a system that's essentially out the door. And it depends on how long you want to sit on it. For instance, certain games right now, if you buy them from limited run and you buy them on the switch, they go up in value more so than the PS4 version right away because the switch versions are selling way faster than the PS4 versions of these limited run games. Switch is selling out. It sells quickly. Um, however, I think in the long term, PS4 will be the more expensive game because there's less copies of it. It's just, you can't see that now. That'll be something that's represented later. Now, to be fair, it's Nintendo and everything. Nintendo always holds incredible value over its competition when it comes to rare things. But I could see that technically if they only made 1500 PS4 copies and they made 3,500 switch copies, the PS4 copy is going to hold that, that collector's value technically more being with, you know, half the print size, if not more than half the print, less than half the print size, I should say. It, it kind of boggles my mind that the Nintendo versions sell so much faster because there it's the inferior system over the ps4 like like if i'm buying a game like when they're on both systems i am always buying the ps4 copy like and sometimes i will buy the switch copy if i if i go into like best buy and they have like the the best buy cover version like i'll buy them on the whim but my preference is definitely the ps4 version just based on the higher fidelity of the console so I, I'm with you as far as power to the console, but of course the Switch does offer like that sense of portability. Yeah. Now, my only counter to that would be that if I was going to, if I had an all portable console, I wouldn't collect physical typically for that because, I mean, I, I would still, but I'd probably have them digital so I don't lose all my games at once if I lose the system. The idea that you would carry around a, a Switch with like 30 or 40 games is, is crazy to me because <laughs> if you lose that switch you lose it all um and i think there's a convenience to not having to swap out cartridges when you're traveling or on an airplane or something you know but i mean i agree like between the two games the better version arguably should be the one on the better system um minus all those other factors uh so but the switch but the switch is super popular right now so it holds innately holds extra value because of that um and then uh, there are a lot of these companies showing up limited runs not the only one in town so i if just off the top of my head i'm gonna start rattling them off so we've got first print games limited run you've got uh special reserve games you've got strictly limited games you've got signature edition signature edition games thank you and i know there's a new one that just came out recently it's Uh, like first edition games or something like that or jp switch mania on twitter has his own with two so far yeah like video games new york or something isn't that 
part of it. I know Video Games video New games, York is publishing stuff too. Video Games New York, I think, carries a lot of the the limited run stuff. Like they have a lot of like if if anybody's ever looking for limited run games, I think Video Games New York has like a very large selection of like older titles that are that are on their site for not too terribly much above the the asking price, which I was surprised about. Um, but nobody is as successful as limited run has been like limited run, uh, right now on their website, they're at their 100th switch game published and they are 10 games away from their 400th PlayStation four game. Yeah. Which is just Uh, mental to think those numbers. That's just crazy. Yeah. Like I have, I think I have about 550 PS4 games. So like I I could they're not my collection is not 100% limited run games like it's just it's crazy to think that like 80% of my PS4 collection could just be limited run games. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, it, yeah, that sounds fair. And I don't and it's hard to say when they're going to stop doing physical PS4 because uh which is interesting. Now here's one thing about limited run if if you are trying to prospect their games a lot of the PS4 games that are coming out are still limited print on PS4. Like, they're, they're set numbers, I should say, like 1,500 copies, like the new... They're uh, they're getting ready for one, I think, this weekend. I think they're doing, like, King of Fighters. Yeah, the SNK games generally are yeah. the limited number games for some yeah. reason. Yeah, so, so there is some collectability there for those games because there is something going on. Like, it's not an unlimited pre-order where you don't even know how many copies. Like, the Scott Pilgrim game... Was their was their most successful pre order? They've said so. Who knows how many copies that got pre ordered? If I had to guess, probably twenty or thirty thousand. <laughs> I heard, I heard like right away, like a week or two after they put it up, that it was like twenty or thirty thousand just on Switch. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Like, that game, that game's gonna be huge. And I also do think that Best Buy will probably get the PS4 and Switch version of that game as well. Well, good. That'd be nice because when Best Buy gets it, then I get them cheaper. So, <laughs> yeah, it's it's also supposedly gonna be the first Xbox One game that they do because uh, they have said that the Xbox One version of the game would be coming at a later date. Oh, that'd be cool too. Get into get into that because that that's one of the things. The reason they don't do Xbox One games is I think that uh, there's a higher print requirement. Yes, for Xbox One, so that's why they don't do it. And and obviously, I think Sony and Nintendo have a thousand minimum for a print run. Yep. So it's a lot more realistic. But so just something to think about. You can still prospect. If in my opinion, I think it's if you're starting now, I think it's a lot harder than it was three years ago. Three years ago, you could like get almost any of these limited edition games, these these low print games, and they were going to go up in value. But now that the, the market's so saturated, you really have to pick your battles. And even something like Shantae, which the Shantae games all are worth, some of them are worth ridiculous amounts. Like there's Switch Switch versions of the game that go for 400 bucks for just the that's, game. That's crazy. It's, it's crazy. Um, and then they'll do a new Shantae game and you could think, well, I better get this Shantae game, right? Because I missed out on the last one. It's worth all this money. But I promise you, if you're having that thought, so is everybody else. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so everyone buys the game. They sell, you know, 10,000 copies that makes that game much less collectible in the future, no matter how powerful the IP is and how connected people like to be with that. Um, So yeah, one of the, one of the things that, uh, uh, that hack diesel 
asked about was as far as like collecting modern day games and like like server closures and and day one patches and stuff one of the things that that limited run does that's pretty damn cool but also gets uh impatient people pissy is that a lot of times they will wait to get the whatever patch that a game needs onto the cart and so um the Skullgirls second encore on uh, Vita and PS4. Uh, people were pissed off about that game because there was a a patch that was being worked on, and it delayed the release of the game for probably like six months or if not longer. And every freaking day on Twitter, you'd see like ten people just haranguing uh, the the limited run Twitter about the Skullgirls game and they they delayed it because they want to have the complete version of the cartridge or the game on the cartridge or disc they they don't want to require you to download 10 gigs worth of bullshit on day one which is admirable and I like that and I think that that is why like those games are going to be kind of the definitive versions of of a game that's released like um when games do like the the game of the year edition where it comes with like an extra disc that has extra content on it like those are great because you you can buy it knowing that you're going to have like potentially all of the patches and all of the extra content on the disc and you don't have to like download a huge amount of extra stuff i am i'm curious on if if servers for content patches will ever go down because there might be a time frame in which you throw in Tony Hawk five for Xbox 360 and you have to play the piece of shit that's contained on the disc. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, so um, yeah, this, I'm glad you kind of rolled into this because they are connected. Uh, limited run, like you said, is really good about that. And they have taken flack for how long the releases come out. And I do, I would say they keep getting more and more games signed, but the more and more games you get signed now, because they used to do it where they would get the product in that once the product <clears> was in, then they would do the sale. Well, now, since they do open pre-orders, they sell the stuff before they even send the numbers off to get stuff printed. So it just adds all this extra time into the way it works. But like you said, they they oftentimes try to add the latest patched version. And this is something that, you know, this this is actually a really interesting point of collecting. So this ties into collecting as well. And a lot of people don't know stuff like this. But for instance, I don't know if you know this, John. You might. You probably do. So remember the Crash trilogy came out for like PS4. Yes. And it, 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 uh, wait, was it Crash or am I, am I, no, it's Spiral. the Spiral one, excuse me, the Spiral one. So the Spiral one comes out, the, basically the first game's on the disc, the other two games are included in a patch you have to download. There is a version of that game that they put all three games on the disc. It was like the second print of that game, and it is out there. It's low print, it's hard to find. We've only ever had, I think, one or two come through the store, uh, my store, but it, it, that's going to be worth a lot more money in the future than the one that needs an update. And, yeah. And Do so you know how a, to identify them? Yes. I think it specifically says 2019 on the okay. inside of the disc. So like on the, on the, if you look at the disc, the top of the disc, it should say something about the copyright in the little letters should say 2019. I think instead of 27 or 2018, it should say 2019. Um, I think that's how you differentiate. I also think somewhere on the back too, it'll mention something about how it, like it won't say that it requires download okay. or something like that somewhere on the 
case itself. But yeah, so that's sort of like that sort of collecting is a big deal. For instance, one of the games in my pickup pile this week, uh, spoiler alert, is the Pokemon Sword plus Pokemon Sword expansion pack game. This okay. actually has the expansion on the di- on the cartridge. It's not, it's not a code like you'd expect it to be, especially with Nintendo and their their disrespect for all things DLC and online. <laughs> but this straight up is on the cartridge. So yeah, this, in the future, this is going to be the version of Pokemon Sword everybody wants. Yeah, I, I was tempted to pick up both of those. Uh, they're pricey, though. I think they're 80 to 90 bucks. We, we were putting this one out at, I think, 79.99, yeah. Okay, yeah. Uh, another spoiler, I didn't pay that much for it. <laughs> um but yeah so that that's a really good point and and so there are some really cool collecting things like maybe i should put together like a master list sometime uh, of like you know little little things like that like little little current games that are better versions because like you said you know when when you have fallout 3 on 360 and you love the game in the future what are you gonna buy you're gonna buy fallout 3 you're gonna buy fallout 3 game of the year edition you can buy the game of the year edition with all the dlc you're not gonna want the regular the regular game in fact you can see like the regular game we have tons of those in the store and the game of the year comes in and sells out right away red dead redemption did the game of the year edition same sort of thing like when you when you collect these old games you're going to want to collect the ones that physically have it on the disc um mike who i did the 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 special episode with last week he, this is something he rants a lot about because he makes an argument and and i i feel it's fair ish <laughs> but he makes an argument that you know like what's the point almost in collecting physical games when the game you're getting is almost like, it's not the game it's supposed to be, you know, like cyberpunk's going to be the biggest example of this cyberpunk day one, like say in 25 years, someone picks up the PS4 copy of cyberpunk and puts it into a PlayStation four that they find at a garage sale or something. Update servers are long gone, you know, and you pop that thing in. It's, it's not at all that it's a shell of the game that, would have been created over the next couple years of updates and patches and content releases and stuff. So there is, there is like frustration there. And, and I think Mike's fair to say like, you know, what's the point if this is how it's going to be, you know? And, and now I still argue that I don't think those games are necessarily unplayable and broken, but they're certainly not the best version of that game. And I spend a lot of time trying to find the best version of games you know, like I, I have Earthworm Jim 2 on Sega CD or uh, excuse me, on Sega Saturn, because I want the best version of that game as far as I can find. And, and so, yeah, it is, it is an interesting way to look at it. Now, the interest, the also, the other interesting thing about that is that you don't know where the preservation side's going to be in 20 more years. We might have, you might have people setting up like right now, hopefully they are. I don't know what it's like to do such a thing because I'm not into it myself, but hopefully there's people out there archiving, like archiving stuff right now from today so that in 20 years, they don't have to try to find it. Someone's already done the work for it. And with preservation being as big as it is now, I think that will happen. Um, But like, for instance, I think someone will be able to set up a server and you could, you know, basically get an update for a game like through through the preservations uh, preservationists of video game collecting i think i think you will see that i think you'll see a big effort of people putting patches out or, or saving the patches and the updates somehow um again yeah, i don't know how it works I hope so. but I, yeah me too definitely me too and and what sucks about it is yeah i think it's a really fair question to ask like 
future playability of modern consoles. Like, I mean, day one patches and stuff. Like, I even look at stuff like Fantasy Star Online for the Dreamcast. You can still play that online. Mario Kart for the GameCube, you can play that online. <laughs> so, got to jump through some hoops, but yeah. P- people figured it out, but the problem is it typically only happens when someone is so obsessed with the game and someone's such a fan that they they go through these impossible means to get it done. And so the average game that's not going to happen. Like I'm not going to pop in a some random PS4 game and hope that someone's done an update patch for that, <laughs> you know? Rogue Warrior, for instance. Yeah, Rogue Warrior, uh, Rogue <laughs> Trooper. <laughs> we're not, uh, the 13 remake, you know, we're not getting updates for these games, people. Um, but it is it is a great question. And there, so I know there's a community out there that will bring some of the games back to life. I mean, hell, they got Demon Souls working. They got Demon Souls turned back, you know, soul, uh, <laughs> servers going again. But again, that's because it's such a dedicated, rabid fan base. So, um so I think that's totally a fair question, though, uh, and it is tough. As as a collector these days, like you do wonder. I mean, I guess we have to keep our consoles, right? Like you just have to install every game, update every game, and then just keep it, <laughs> put it in the so, closet. I don't know. So, what publisher do you think is the best at shipping a game complete on disc versus shipping a game? kicking it out the door with a nasty patch. Um, like, I would say the worst offenders of kicking shit out the door and relying on you to patch it would be Activision and Ubisoft. I think those games are going to be definitely the worst if you buy them 20 years from now and servers don't exist to allow you to download those patches yeah well it's not just that too but it's the it's the auto integration of all things microtransactions and like you know a lot of these games have a splash screen when you connect and it plays messages for you and stuff mm-hmm. i mean eventually like those servers shut down i mean are they just going to have error messages or you know what i mean like there's who knows it could cause a bug that they didn't know existed because they always had a news feed to feed in i think thing. it'll it'll just be blank because like um like if you sign off of uh, Xbox Live while you're playing like Phoenix Rising, for instance, sure. it just doesn't it just doesn't advertise the the like extra download content that you can buy. Um, so like the game inherently will work like if you have the patch, but but like um, like Hack Diesel was talking about, like if you can't download the patch from the get go, what the hell are on these discs? Like there <laughs> right. are like. Like I bought the game No Straight Roads, and it um, on Xbox it's kind of funky. Like it's it's hard to determine what is being installed off of the disc and what is being downloaded off the internet because the when I threw in No Straight Roads, it it showed me that only like seven hundred uh, megabytes was coming off the disc, and then it was downloading like fifteen gigabytes, and I was like, now is the disc actually only 700 megabytes oh no (laughs) or or is does does it just not read properly because that isn't a game that says like requires internet to play so i i think that is an example of like the xbox just installs things kind of funky and it's their your user interface is a little weird but there are definitely games that like ship where the game is broken on the disc and they're absolutely relying on you to have the internet 
to yeah. fix the game when you put it in. Well, and, um, and and I and I know. I mean, Microsoft. I don't. I don't expect to go anywhere, right? But yeah. but to activate an Xbox One, you have to log into an Xbox Live account. Like mm-hmm. you have to have that. So what happens to that system in twenty years? If maybe Microsoft gets out of the video game business, they're <laughs> not going to keep that stuff up. So does that system then, once you wipe it and format it, you just don't get to use it anymore? I think Microsoft you know? is in. They've ingrained the Xbox Live interface so thoroughly into their account system that I don't think that we have to worry about that because like right now, if you sign up for a hotmail address, they assign you a random Xbox live username. You don't know it until you sign into xbox.com or onto an Xbox console itself. But every single hotmail and live.com email address or whatever outlook, whatever um, username you're using to look at Microsoft's email system has an Xbox Live account. Um, so I, I, that part of it I'm not concerned about as far as being able to sign in and use the system, but they did shut down like um, the original Xbox functionality back in like, I think it was like 2008 or 2009. And so those games were unplayable once the servers went down. And they're they're starting to do that with like the Halo games for Xbox 360. Um, so in a couple months, all of the Halo Xbox 360 games will no longer function. You'll still be able to play those games via the Master Chief Collection, but if you want to play the originals on the original console, the online functionality will be locked out to you. Yeah, well, and, and even something like this, and this is Microsoft. This is an example of Microsoft. So it used to be that if you wanted to download the update for an Xbox 360 to play original Xbox games, you would just pop the game in. It would prompt you to download an update, and you would update the system. They don't do that anymore. That's not available anymore. They've taken that down. Now, that might not be for any reason except that that's not how they're doing backwards compatibility anymore. They're doing it on the Xbox One and Series X through downloads. But that that is something that now if we want to update someone's system to be backwards compatible i have to pull out an old xbox demo disc from X, the official xbox <laughs> magazine and i have to pop that in an xbox and update it that way so it's it, it isn't unrealistic and like the example you gave as well it's not unrealistic even a company like microsoft to stop allowing something like that now if it was any other company i mean i agree totally with what you're saying about the xbox live accounts and your and your hotmail accounts so i'm not worried about microsoft doing that but if it was any other company, we should be worried about that because acquisitions happen, um, y- you know, just in general businesses like look at look at the businesses that were the biggest companies in the 80s and 90s. Very few of those companies are the biggest companies today, you know, and so it, there is a the winds are ever changing <laughs> in, yeah. in, in business. And so you just you never know. And, and I even say it's about Sony in particular, like. You know, they, they've had a good run. The PlayStation division, anyway, has had a good run the last decade. But up to that point, I mean, man, Sony was struggling, like, financially. And not, I mean, the PlayStation brand, I think, was one of the only profitable brands for the whole company, that division. I don't even know if there yeah. is any other profitable Sony divisions. I know they sold off, like, the <laughs> Vio, and they sold off their... They've sold off other things. They sold their huge original corporate building they had in, in Japan, like they were just basically just like going into crunch mode 
Um, but anyway, so, so companies can change and, and so you never know about that stuff. And the fans will bring back the, you know, some fans will bring back some things, but it, it does suck. And, and, and look at all the games as a service, like realistically one day Fortnite's going to shut down. Yeah. You know, it's, it's hard to believe now. I mean, and it's, it's not like I'm saying it's gonna happen anytime soon. It probably won't even be 10 or 15. It might be 15 years. Who knows? But one day that game will be unplayable and someone who grew up playing it We'll be like, man, remember playing Fortnite when we were kids? And they're going to want to go back to it as 40, 50-year-old, you know, guys and gals, and, and they won't be able to. You know, it's it's weird. It's weird to think that. Um, And also games like The Division, which is what, I mean, I think you could take or leave it. I like The Division as a game, but, I mean, that, For Honor, you know, Destiny, like, these are all games that eventually will just not be around anymore. Yeah. And, well, actually, and those memories are gone with it. You brought up backwards compatibility with Xbox 360. Uh, the the current backwards compatibility on Xbox One functions by if you put the disc in for an Xbox 360 or an original Xbox game, it's actually not installing the game off of the disc. It's right. downloading the entirety of the game off of their server. And so potentially if they lose the right to sell that game uh, or or facilitate that backwards compatibility, you might still have the disc, but you may not be able to put it in your Xbox One or Xbox Series X and have it function in that same way. You might have to have the old console sitting around somewhere to play it, potentially. Yep. Yeah, it's it's and, it's wild to think that, because ultimately that's why I want a Series X, because it's the ultimate console to play my 360 games, the majority of my 360 games, and my Xbox One games, but... Well, actually, um, so this is super weird, but a couple of years ago, uh, Rockstar patched Grand Theft Auto 4. And they patched Grand Theft Auto 4, actually, and San Andreas, I believe, as well, to remove music that they no longer had the rights to have in the game because the, the music rights for those games, for those songs, expired. And so if you played a disc version of Grand Theft Auto 5 not connected to the internet, you're you're getting the full soundtrack and then if you connect it to the internet they are stripping out a yeah. few songs from the game which is just a crazy concept it, like imagine buying a cd and then and then like 10 years later like uh like sony like that published the music is just like uh we're going to have to take track six out of there because you no longer have the rights to play track six. Right. Good, like, it's so weird. Good example, John. So you're, you're, you're just, you're thrashing around to your jock jams, volume 10. And then all of a sudden Sony comes by and says, Hey, you can't listen to the sixth song on your jock jams CD. And then they like, just take it away. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's the, that concept <laughs> is, it's, it's so bizarre that they had to put forth the effort to, put that patch out like you'd think that those companies would just forget about it (laughs) like it's like imagine imagine having like somebody put out a patch for a ps1 game (laughs) yeah hey you gotta you gotta remove the you gotta remove the the viper from uh from gran turismo one because you no longer have the rights to have car in the game like It, it would be just bizarre it makes me think that they're gonna really have to figure out new contracts especially for music in the future and just be like hey this game could be around for 20 some years. So we have the rights like to use this music while this game is still being used 
on this platform. But of course, when I say that, it's that's where they get into trouble, right? Because it's not on the Xbox 360 platform anymore. Now it's on Xbox One. So I'm sure the the the, the musician's lawyer comes around and is like, hey, <laughs> we need more money because now you got our song on a new platform. It's like, well, it's, it's the same game, but it is on a new platform. And that, you know, it's the way it works. So so swinging back around to, uh, uh, I, I have a, a question for you on modern games, and then we can talk. I think we should talk a little bit about uh, stuff like disc rot and retro um, concerns. Um, but so I mentioned a couple um, modern PS4 games like Disaster Report and uh, Atlier Riza, and uh, I think the uh, the Legend of Heroes Trails of Cold Steel games are going to be some of the kind of ex- more expensive games a couple years from now, or even now, um, taking out the limited run style games, are there games that you can think of that are climbing in price that, that you think people should potentially pick up and not, not wait on, um, or, or things that you think will be valuable in the future? Oh, I mean, not really. I mean, that, that's the tough part about the prospecting, you know, I'm, I'm almost getting out of the prospecting game now. Um, but, uh, man, I, I mean, I see some of the late life PS4 RPGs, these really obscure games like Dragon Star Varnir, um, uh, Super Neptunia RPG or Neptunia, whatever they call it. Okay. Like some of those, I think, but those are slow burns. Those are things that are going to start off, you know, you're going to pick it up for 20, 30 bucks. And then it, it's going to take like five to 10 years to double in price. You know, so then you ask yourself, is it even worth it? Like, if you like RPGs, so I collect Japanese RPGs. So Same. for me, I want it. So for me, it is worth it. But if you collect, you know, like action puzzle games, and then you're like, but I'm thinking about collecting this RPG because it'll be worth money someday. I don't really think that's worth it. I I don't really think there's anything like, you, you know, the other, the other weird thing I would say is that there's some of the obscure VR games for PS4. All the VR games are incredibly low print physical for mm-hmm. the most part, with the exception, I think, of Batman VR. Um, like, Moss is a $100 game now. I the saw that. Physical and the, disc, the, yeah. Isn't the job simulator like $200 or some crazy thing like that? Last time we had, it was around 100 but it could have gone up. I haven't seen it in quite some time. Yeah, it's gotten nuts. So, like, obviously, you know that I'm not collecting sell later. Like, I'm not... I'm not prospecting or I'm not saying I'm prospecting because I want to make a bunch of money. Right. I, I buy games at like, because I don't want to pay $500 for them later. <laughs> so that's, that's where I come from on, on like the games that I purchase and the, the prospecting that I do is like, I, I don't want to spend $300 on a game that I saw for, for 50 or 40 right. and, and waited. So like, like I mentioned, like, if anybody wants the Atelier Ryza 1 game, just buy the damn thing now, because it seems like it's only getting more expensive. Yeah, it's, it's and, and you know, that game was kind of rare, and then they did a reprint, and they brought the price back down, and then it went right back up again. So, yeah, I don't, you never know. They could do another reprint tomorrow, though. I mean, like, you yeah. just really don't know. Um, but, yeah, so I would say any of those late-life RPGs, go for, like, like go on to Amazon, and then search for that Dragostar Varnir game, and then look into like what other people have purchased. And that's what I do a lot of times. And I'll just start scrolling through. And then you find all these weird games that you didn't even know existed. And uh, yeah. so, so that, and then I would just get some of those weird VR games. 
Um, like some of the low print, uh, like for instance, here's a hot, hot tip for you. GameStop exclusive. We talked a little bit about this on Friday, I think, but the doom three VR. Yes. Um, I went and pre-ordered that. Yeah. So that's, that's a GameStop exclusive. It's doom three. So most people probably don't really care. Uh, if it's a GameStop exclusive in case listeners don't know, the only time GameStop gets an exclusive is if they sign a contract saying we're going to buy every copy of the game, obviously, because they're an exclusive retailer. GameStop is in no position right now to be doing any sort of exclusive deals on any massively large quantities <laughs> of anything. <laughs> so if GameStop has an exclusive, if I had to guess, I'm guessing 5,000 print, 5 to 10, but probably closer to 5. Because there's no way GameStop's going, oh, yeah, we'll we'll take 10,000 copies of Doom 3 VR. I mean, VR is super, super slow right now. It's in the it's in the lull of the season. It's not the it's not the hot VR season. It's the lull. Most games aren't physical and you can buy that game digital. So most people who have VR are conditioned to buy games digital. So a physical VR games are very weird and very niche. And so that it, it could blow up um, one of the rare games. You actually, you might want to get on this one if you hadn't looked, is um, Marvel vs. Capcom 3 for PS4. Um, okay. Yeah, like like Ultimate, Ultimate Marvel vs. Capcom 3 for PS4 is up to like $120 now. Oh, um, and it's just, it just keeps it keeps going up uh, just because it's obscure and it was super low print. And I, if I remember correctly, that was a GameStop exclusive as well. I believe it was, yeah. It came out for like 30 Capcom's got the weirdest boner for GameStop, dude. I don't get it. <laughs> like they, They're always like, hey, you want this cool Resident Evil collector's edition? Well, go to GameStop where even if you spend $250 on something, you got to pay an extra $20 to get it on release day. You know, it's, the old, it's like the worst eShop on the planet. And like they get all these exclusive cool stuff from Capcom. Like, I don't know. I don't know what that relationship is, but I don't like it. <laughs> so so like the it. other weird, the other weird thing about that doom three is that now that it's coming out, it's a PlayStation VR game coming out that now Microsoft owns Bethesda. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's software. So it's, it's essentially going to be the first game published buy microsoft bethesda for a different system yeah i hope they put microsoft's name right in the box too i hope so too i think it'd be funny (laughs) oh man like like games for win or uh xbox game studios (laughs) yeah yeah exactly microsoft game studios right in the minecraft dungeons yeah well and actually the uh minecraft on on switch had that on it and uh so did the um the ori games had the the Microsoft uh, Game Studios logo and stuff on them. Yeah, that's awesome. And that's as it should be. I mean, who you know, they, they're, they're the ones making the game, you know, publishing it and everything. So, I mean, it's, you know, I mean, why not? So, uh, so I brought up Disc Rot. Uh, does... The boogeyman itself. Does Disc Rot scare you? <laughs> and have you experienced it? Um, yes, I've experienced it. No, it doesn't scare me because... So Discrot is, uh, God, how do I want to say this? I try not to insult anybody, right? Discrot is like the boogeyman. That's the best way to say it right now. Like everyone's got this weird thought that says eventually your PS1 games are going to stop working because of Discrot. Now I'm not saying that it's not going to happen, but here's kind of the thing about Discrot. My experience with Discrot is that it's on very cheaply printed CDs. So arguably Sega CDs, Sega CD CDs, um, Mm -hmm. some Saturn games I've seen it on, and you see it on a lot of really bad, cheap 
like CDRs. I've okay. never seen disc rot on a PS one game. Never. And I never, ever seen it. And I don't think you ever will. Um, well, one, because the black coating, I think will prevent you from seeing it, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but no, I mean, and now ultimately is stuff possible because this is something that's been happening. I've, I've, I've caught wind of this happening over the last year or so. People are putting their CDs into like a computer, like a PS1 game or a Sega CD game into a computer. They run mm-hmm. something like alcohol 120% to check for any bad sectors in the disc. And if it's got bad sectors, they don't want it. Okay. And that, I mean, I'm, I mean, if I had five copies and I checked them all out and only one copy had all good sectors, like, I guess I would want that one, but give me a break. You know, I mean, it's, it's, there's, in my opinion, that's a little obsessive. Now, if you, if you do that, that's totally fine. I'm, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but I just, it's, it's a little, the, the, um, the disc rot thing is like a boogeyman who I keep hearing about. And it's so weird the way people talk about it. You know, they really talk like it's like Satan himself, you know, come up to steal our games. (laughs) A lot of, a lot of articles, uh, from a couple years ago would talk about how basically all Sega Saturn and Sega CD games are ticking time bombs that, that are just not going to function after like the, the one of the articles I read said that like CDs have like a 12 year lifespan and that that anything after that is you're basically on borrowed time. Sure. And the only the only time I've experienced I don't know if it's disc rot or just I've have shit luck with this particular game, but um uh I think it's like San Runabout San Francisco for Dreamcast. I've bought two different copies of that game and I've run it on two different Dreamcasts and I've never gotten a copy of that game that actually works <laughs> for some reason. It it and might I, be like Blue Stinger though. Like Blue Stinger doesn't work in half the Dreamcast systems either. Yeah, I have I have a Japanese copy of that game that does function properly if you run it with a boot disk. So it's not the game itself like functions on my system just not the American version for hmm. some reason. So um, yeah, um, yeah. So, so I guess I would I would praise that article for its accuracy as far as knowing which which consoles had cheaper made CDs. Now, the mm-hmm. problem with disc rot is that no one really knows what it looks like. Uh, I don't even necessarily know what it looks like. I only have seen certain things that I think is what the disc rot is, if it's even showing up. If if it's possible, it's something that you don't even see with the human eye. It's just happening like between the layers of the disc. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've seen what essentially looks like black scratches. It, it, and it almost has like a worm type kind of design to it, where it's almost like a little worm wriggled inside the disc. And sometimes it's only as big as a scratch, but that <laughs> usually just like makes the disc unplayable for, for that sector anyway. I mean, you know, if it's a game where there's not a whole lot going on, and a lot of times, even if it was scratched there, a, a scratch CD can still play. So you might even be able to skip over that portion of the disc and still be able to load and play. Um, but I have seen it mostly, I would say, Sega CD and yeah, Sega Saturn are the two that I've seen it the most. Okay. But I don't I don't think it's a big deal. And, and if it is, there's literally nothing you can do about it. You know what I mean? So, yeah. like, I mean, the only argument that people make is that that's why you shouldn't buy all these expensive games. Which I guess is fair, but I mean, then you shouldn't buy anything. 
<laughs> because eventually everything breaks and quits working. So like, should you not buy a refrigerator? Because in 20 years it's going to break anyway. You know? I don't yes. Know. <laughs> um, one of the, one of the things that I thought was really cool was, um, so there's a, a new console that's coming out called the poly mega. And, uh, I'm sure you've heard of it. Um, yes. The, so the poly mega has, a, it's, it, the, the base system comes with a CD module and it will play like Sega CD, Sega Saturn, PS1, um, uh, Neo Geo CD, and a couple other consoles, I believe. I think it plays Turbo CD as well. So when you throw the CD into the system, it actually rips the game to its internal hard drive. And so, and it will stay on the hard drive. So once you rip your your collection to it, you can basically play the console like it's a retro pie. Um, yes. And you'll you'll have like a menu system where you can flip through all your games. And as somebody that has a very large retro collection, but doesn't like, I don't really agree with emulation for the most part. That that concept of being able to have all of my legit games on a system that. I ripped it from my own copy. It just sounds awesome. And then it's it's got HDMI output. Um, they have, I believe it it functions with uh, the retro original controllers, or they also have some pretty decent um, newer versions of the controllers. And then they also have different modules, so you can pull the CD module off of it, and you can put a TurboGrafx-16 module, and then you can you can rip those uh, Hue cards. Uh, and then they have like the Super Nintendo slash Famicom, Super Famicom, the Famicom slash NES, and the um, Genesis uh, and like 32X and stuff. And so, like, I'm really tempted to to buy one of those. the The bundle where you get all of it is like six hundred dollars um, because those individual modules are like I think they're like eighty to a hundred bucks a piece. Um, but if you buy the the big bundle, you get all of them. Sure. And I'm very tempted to get one of those as an all-in-one solution that I can have hooked up to my big 4K TV with HDMI out and just have my entirety of my collection on it. I think that's a really, really cool concept. I'm I'm hoping it's as, as cracked up to, to be as it sounds. Uh, and you also can patch games with translation patches as well. So yeah. if you have a Japanese copy of Snatcher, you can... You can patch the English translation and run it off of there. Yeah, so, uh, you know, for ease of use and for the average person, I think it's totally fine. Uh, I th part, part of the problem I have with the Polymega is that it's still uh, software emulation based. Mm -hmm. and, and arguably, you know, what people are really trying to get into now is the FPGA emulation, which is basically hardware emulation. Hardware emulating instead of software emulating. And you know, there's a lot of people that will nitpick back and forth. Um, the analog systems, those are FPGAs. Mm -hmm. So they're different from the Polymega. What the Polymega has done that the other ones haven't done yet is they did the CD-based. They're putting, like, the disk drive in there that will, you know, so so you're like, that. they are adding something different to the equation. Um, but it, you could ultimately just build a Raspberry Pi with a USB disk drive, and it'd be doing mm -hmm. the exact same thing. Uh, as the as the polymega can do now the polymega i want to say though 
uh, they they worked with oh it was like the original creators of the Mednafin emulator, and they actually worked on the Saturn emulation because Saturn emulation's been stuck for quite a while and hasn't been mm-hmm. super good. Uh, there was like one Saturn emulator it's called like Yabusa or Yaboos or something like that, and um, so apparently Mednafin worked with the the, the Polymega team to make like a newer version of the emulator that'll play Saturn games really well. Well, Mednafen's open source. And so then they had to kind of backpedal a little bit and say, well, we're going to release it to everybody too. It's not just for this company, you know, because it was, it was almost like they were saying, we're going to make a better version of our emulator, but just for them to sell. Mm-hmm. And, and so it is weird. And I'm not, so I'm not taking it away. If anybody looks at the Polymega and says, it's the solution that you want. I think that's totally cool, man. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, but just so that people know kind of what they're getting into. And I, I spent a lot of time and money trying to get my old games working on modern solutions. <laughs> like I, <laughs> like, like the Dave and Dom at the store, they always joke with me that I'm playing God with these old systems. Like I'll tell them something like, Oh, Hey guys, I'm buying this. Uh, I'm going to do this. And then I had to do this to get this. Like, dude, you're playing God with these old systems. So <laughs> like, I can't help uh, it. You know, do you have your, is your Dreamcast in your pickup pile this week? It is. It is. It's, okay. r- it's right over there, actually. I don't have it so. physically on the desk. But uh, but yes, uh, and what John was alluding to there was that I, I paid for an HDMI GD Emu Noctis Fan modded Dreamcast. So I have a Dreamcast that's HDMI modded now. But also, they took the disk drive out and they put in a micro SD card so you can play your... Like you play, you play images of the games on the actual hardware. It's it's the similar thing if you had, you know, like an EverDrive for the NES or 64 or something, and you're playing ROMs essentially. You're playing disc images, but you're playing it on actual hardware. So that's kind of the, that's kind of the compromise, I guess, mm-hmm. <laughs> for it all. But that's, I mean, and really, you just try to do whatever you can do to have this stuff playable. I think once you get everything to HDMI no matter what we have in the future, it should be easy enough to adapt HDMI to whatever we go to. Like DisplayPort is what I use for my monitors, but DisplayPort really didn't take off with like televisions or anything like that. So, you know, we're getting HDMI 2.0 and then or there's HDMI 2.0 and then there's whatever is going to be after that. You know, they might stick with HDMI or change HDMI so that it's, you know, not, uh, what do I want to say? So it's symmetrical. So it's like, you know, USB-C where you could put in each e- either way you want. Um, yeah, but yeah, I don't know. So a lot of, a lot of interesting stuff there though. And I, I've anybody who wants advice on that, let me know, because I, I have spent, if I had to guess, I've spent thousands of dollars trying to get <laughs> everything the way I want it to be. And I look around, like I've got all my analog systems. I've got the mega SG, the super NT and the mini NT. I've got my, I've got a turbo, I've got a turbo duo that's scart modded. So that I can run that to my frame meister and play that through HDMI. Uh, I've got an HDMI modded 64, an HDMI modded Dreamcast, and yeah, my my PS2 is probably the crappiest solution. That I have to pretty much. I have a SCART cable for that as well, and I run that out to HDMI, but it still looks like dookie. But so you're you're probably jealous of my game collection a little bit potentially. I'm jealous of your uh, your console collection <laughs> because I'm I'm to the point where like I want to have HDMI modded systems, uh, but then I'm like I'm starting to try and like think of how I can get that done. Well, and the prices are getting astronomical on that. I I, I bought my HDMI modded sixty four about four years ago. It was four four yeah about four years ago because I had it at my wedding. 
to play No Mercy. Uh, but I had I had that I had that, and that was I think three hundred to four hundred bucks. Now, mm-hmm. John, they literally sell for a thousand dollars. Jesus, it's crazy because you can't you can't get like they can't make the HDMI mods fast enough, so people are okay. buying them up, popping them in, and then selling off the sixty fours for a ton. And I've got Damn. my the one I got is a jungle green HDMI mod. And okay. I'd much rather have, because I also have a smoke gray system that's not modded, and I'd rather have the smoke gray system be the one that's HDMI modded. So I'm actually considering just swapping the boards, and then I have to make the little cut for the HDMI port in the back, and I don't want to shatter the case, obviously. So it's it's a whole thing. It's a whole ordeal. You could just use a Dremel. That's what it I got to get. And see, hard. the thing is, I don't have one, so I'd have to buy one for that. But yes, ultimately, you just get a Dremel and just zip, zip, zip. Yeah. Good to go. Because it, it's the 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 hole you'd need to make is like right on the, isn't it right on the, uh, the spot where two pieces of plastic connect. Yeah. So when you take the top off the 64, it's, I believe it's right. Like it's, you're basically just going to make three cuts. Like, yeah. You're essentially making a little notch, right? Yep. Just making a little notch. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You could do that. Yeah. I could, I could do that. Um, but yeah, so that, that's, you know, that's on the docket maybe. So <laughs> sometimes, so, Rounding out our our retro collection thing, um, and well, unless I'm overstepping here, uh, <laughs> what uh, what consoles have started to really explode in value? Uh, and I like a big one in my opinion is definitely like the GameCube seems to be going crazy price wise. Am I wrong on that? Uh, as far as games. Yeah, uh, GameCube was already on a meteoric rise, and then COVID happened, and there's the COVID bump, which anything that was already accelerating got accelerated more. Mm-hmm. So the COVID bump took GameCube that was already on a meteoric rise, and it added to that. So some games went into the stratosphere. A lot of those games, that bubble has deflated a bit. So a lot of those games have come back to Earth. Okay. Uh, like, for instance, we had we had a copy of the... Uh, Metroid Prime Wind Waker two pack over the summer, mm-hmm. and it was, I think it was five fifty. Jesus! And we just <laughs> we just got another one in, and I want to say that one was four four like four four fifty, and then we okay. marked it down because of some art damage to like three fifty. So it's you know so so GameCube the bubble deflated a bit the. Mario Sunshine came back down because of the 3D All-Stars. Some games kept going up. Like, Pokemon Coliseum's a $100 game now. Paper Mario's a $120 game. Like, GameCube is mental. Um, PS1, in particular, PS1 games are just getting crazy. Um, some some PS2 games, like, especially the horror games, but but uh, PS1 is, is especially bonkers. I mean, but same thing with Saturn. Any of the obscure stuff. Like that is really, really jumping hard right now. PS1 is, I was actually just, just on Monday, Dave and I were looking through a bunch of PS1 games just to kind of check prices on things. And I mean, there's things like Crow City of Angels is a hundred bucks. <laughs> the game, God, the game sucks ass. <laughs> um, and then uh, Countdown Vampires. That game also stinks. That's like $120. It's crazy what this stuff's going for. Um, another copy of Kuan sold for about 800 I mean, it's, it's it's crazy the value that's holding with that. Um, Silent Hill for PS One, Black Label Silent Hill PS One, hundred and twenty bucks. Yep, I, I mean, believe that. That's a game that we had for fifty bucks over sixty bucks over the summer. I mean, it's it's wow. like doubled in six months. Crazy. 
But yeah, so so there's definitely a lot of movement now. I feel like there is going to be a backslide on that. Um, you know, typically the cycle goes spring and summer. People spring clean. People want to go outside. They sell you all their stuff. And then the <laughs> prices go down because you get a lot more stuff in. Uh, it didn't happen last year, obviously, because people were basically locked away. So when people were locked away, they wanted to buy more video game stuff. And so this year, it could either be the same sort of thing where people aren't willing to give it up yet because they're still staying inside. Or there might be a mass exodus and people just like, boom, like just unload. I, I didn't go rummaging hardly at all last year. I'm going to hit every rummage sale I can hit this year. It's going to be <laughs> it's going to be all out carnage and mayhem. I can't I can't wait to uh, to get out there and see what people have been buying and sitting on. Oh, man. S- sign me up. Uh, but yeah, that's 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 that that's eh. collecting right now is nuts. It, it really isn't um, like I've been making, I'm still trying to get some complete in box mint and box NES games to finish off my collection. And it's like, it's a fool's errand right now. Like I should just stop and hope the prices <laughs> go down. I'm, I'm really glad that about four or five years ago, I started a list and started buying the games I wanted then because okay. some of the stuff that I I'm looking for, or that I was looking for then and are triple quadruple what they were then now. So just uh just crazy but uh anyway any anything else you had to add about uh about otherwise i'm ready to to move on to our game well actually i don't have a game of the week we're just gonna do pickup piles of the week i think yeah i my pickup piles <laughs> massive so we should definitely get to it all right well let's let's do that then um what is your uh what's in your pickup pile of the week you got a massive one this week yeah so i got it it's in like four piles now um <laughs> so uh, PS5, uh, real quick, because I only have one of them. Uh, I picked up The Pathless, uh, which is by Annapurna Interactive uh, and published by I Am 8-Bit. I got that at um, pretty sweet game. So this one I, I texted you about a couple weeks ago because I had never seen this version of this game. Uh, I picked up NASCAR Heat 4 <laughs> because it's in a case that's reminiscent <laughs> of the old PlayStation 1 long box cardboard box cases. It's it's short like a PS4 uh, Blu-ray case, but it is it is a weird cardboard box and I had never seen it before and I was like what the hell? I I need to buy this even though I will probably never play it because NASCAR. <laughs> I love I love how we decide what what sells and what like what we're gonna buy that we're not gonna buy (laughs) yeah i'm sure you've probably bought games because they're in a weird fucking box haven't you uh i don't know if i've ever bought one for the box but i bought one for way way stupider reasons so okay um (laughs) so i don't have the the big box to show you uh but i got my collector's edition of the blaster master zero games for ps4 um so I opened the box because I'm a monster, mm-hmm. uh, and I took out the uh, the the retro packaging for them. I haven't opened the retro packaging yet, uh, and I don't know if I will. Uh, but I love the Blaster Master games. The original is one of my favorite games of all time. Uh, I have many fond memories of playing that as a kid. That's awesome. And so these look really freaking cool. Um, and the they come with two little metal tanks in the collector's edition, and the metal tanks are hefty. Uh, like they definitely put some put some effort and quality into those. Uh, so I thought that was really cool. It comes with a 
a lithograph, you get a certificate of authenticity, and then there's uh, the box is like hollow foil uh, uh, covering, and then there's a slip cover over it. Like, I definitely, of all of the collector's editions I have of Limited Run, that one is my favorite. Um, so I was definitely excited to get that. Uh, moving on from that, uh, I picked up CrossCode uh, for PS4. Uh, I got this from your store. Uh, Date Alive Rio Reincarnation. <laughs> uh, some garbage uh, visual novel crap. <laughs> some that... visual novel weeaboo. What what do you got there? Yeah, and it was it was cheap, and uh, you never see it, so I figured I'd buy it. Um, I also at your store picked up the Quantic Dream Collection, uh, which comes with Detroit Become Human and Heavy Rain and Beyond Two Souls. What's funny uh, is I actually. Oh, sorry. Oh, go go, no, go ahead. No, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, I imported the Heavy Rain uh, Beyond Two Souls collection from Europe because they hadn't announced it in the U.S. And so I have a European copy of that. And now I have the American copy of when, the double. When I was in the U.K., uh, like in 2016, is it 2016? Yeah, 2016, I went to a an as what was it called? It was Asda. It's basically Walmart. And they okay. had that. They had the two packs. So I bought it there. And I was like, this okay, is so sweet. You, so you also have that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have it anymore. I, when I heard the US one was coming, I sold it at the store. But oh, Okay. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, so moving on from that, uh, I picked up Trails of Cold Steel 4. Uh, I really love this series. And this is the final game in, in this part of the series or offshoot. Uh, it also has uh, um, like Tetris attack-looking slide puzzle game in it. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> so I'm interested in that. Um, uh, actually, this is also from your store. Uh, I picked up your import copy of Code Vein because uh, right. you had it for cheap, and I'm a sucker for imports. Um, Do I know my customers or what? Uh, I picked up 1971 Project Helios from GameStop because it was $10. Nice. Cover looks and cool. Was kind of, it does have a cool cover, so that's that's part of the reason I bought it. Uh, and then... I like how the, the sound, that sound you're hearing, by the way, people, is uh, John's throwing the games off to the side yeah, after just, he tells you just, what it is. <laughs> it's like your mic's picking up <laughs> the just slap of the games as they smash into the chair. Tossing them on a pile. <laughs> He's got. I'll tell a story real quick. So, John, when I opened my store ten years ago, it's almost ten years to the day, probably, John, that you were helping me. John was yep. helping me many times. In fact, my store wouldn't have gotten open on time. Well, we were a week late. We wouldn't have been open that early if it weren't for all the hard work that John did. He helped me out a lot, and I I really appreciate that. So, I let him go into my sealed PS2 RPGs that I had in the back room, and I said, and it was it was like I was like. Mr. Miyagi to Daniel's son when he goes, he shows him all the cars in the backyard and he goes, choose. Like, you get to pick one. I let John pick any one of my PS2 sealed RPGs from my my collection to to have as my thank you to him. So he picks out, I believe the game was Artinelico 2. Artinelico yep. 2. And I'm looking at him like, well, here you go, man. Thank you. And I, at the time, it was probably only like a $60 game, maybe $80. And he just opens it up right in front of me and just starts smelling it. 
and I'm just kind of like, like I actually was like, oh, why'd you open it? But obviously John's a different collector than I am when it comes to that stuff. He opens that stuff and he appreciates the contents, you know? So neither one of us is wrong or right, but I just thought it was a funny story since he's just physically abusing his games here. Yes. I, I do keep more of my games sealed now than I did then. Then I had almost no games sealed. Uh, now I still have, like, I probably have a couple hundred games that are still sealed. Um, but I'm also not below just, if I want to play it, I'm just going to open the damn thing. Mm. Um, so, so yeah. Uh, so wrapping up PS4, uh, I bought the uh, 17-bit Platinum 2-pack, which comes with the Galaxy and Skulls of Shogun. Cool. And then I'm now I'm not putting the game down. More, <laughs> now he's self conscious. More nicely. Everybody. <laughs> <laughs> don't want to blast people's ears. <laughs> uh, and then I got a Play Asia import of Summer Lesson uh, Hakari Miyamoto, uh, which I haven't tried yet. Um, I so I got to put on the VR headset and lay on the floor and see how that works. Oh Jesus. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, so moving on to Xbox. So this is a game that... Uh, so we were talking about games that require internet access to function. Uh, this would be a good example of... I don't know why the fuck this game requires internet access. Street <laughs> Power Soccer. Oh, God. If you do not have internet access, this game will not function for some reason. <laughs> it looks terrible. Uh... Pillars of Eternity Deadfire Ultimate Edition for Xbox One. Um, I've been waiting for this game to get cheapish, and it seems like 30 bucks is the best I was going to be able to do. So I picked it up finally. Um, uh, this is a weird one that I, I saw the PlayStation copy at your store, and it made me go on Amazon and check to see if, uh, if you were ripping me off. No. Um... <laughs> <laughs> to see if there was an Xbox copy, because you had it on PlayStation, and Xbox is my preferred console. Uh, so, Pathfinder Kingmaker, uh, which is a Deep Silver published game, but it was originally a Kickstarter project. Um, and they did actually have it on on Amazon, and it was actually cheapish, and so I picked that up. Uh, and it's actually a, kind of a neat game. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's very much Dungeons & Dragons... Uh, influenced rpg so like there was a part in the game where you have to like there's a fire and you can choose to try and go past the fire to get to like to save people but they do a dice roll to see like if you'll survive or if uh if you get hurt or whatever so i thought that was interesting i played a bit of it and it was pretty neat hmm. um so We'll we'll read the last good game, and then I got a bunch of shitters. Uh, <laughs> so I got Among the Sleep Enhanced Edition for Xbox One. This was a limited run, uh, co-published title. Uh, I bought it off their website. Um, I have the regular edition of the game as well, and I put this in. And frankly, I cannot tell you what the difference between the enhanced edition and the regular edition is at all. Um, they seem to be like it didn't even install it as a separate install. It just immediately used the installation that I already had on my console. Oh, oh. So I don't, I don't know what the hell this disc is. 
<laughs> well, so bizarre. It was a way to um, get more money out of you, is what it was. It was, and they were. <laughs> All right, so I got uh, Professor Rubik's Brain Fitness. <laughs> it's a game based on the Rubik's Cube. It's kind of like uh, um, brain training from the DS. Uh, and I'm I'm excited to say that my daughter is very much now getting to the point where she understands how to play games and like concepts and like how kind of how puzzles might function and stuff. And so she's she's played a lot of the Immortals Phoenix Rising game and really really loves it. And so I beat that game finally, like completed it, got the full thousand points on Xbox and I started new game plus mode. So that way she can play that game from start completely beefed up and she can run around and, and play in a world that isn't completely uh, beaten. Uh, Cause once you, once you beat the game, the monsters don't really show up anymore. So, so I did that, but then I also, I picked up a lot of uh, kind of kid games since she'll, probably be playing more games and so that's what the next four games are um i bought paw patrol mighty pups save adventure bay <laughs> um i got uh troll hunters defenders of arcadia uh transformers battlegrounds and i guess this one doesn't fit into that same i bought it for my kid i just bought this because it was cheap uh cobra kai the karate kid saga continues so i've heard that game so dom finished that game he actually said it was pretty fun okay i don't i don't believe him but yeah he's a lion sack of garbage but but i love the show and uh so it makes me really want to dive into it all right all right we're almost done so i got uh carry on for switch uh mega dimensional neptunia 7 for switch and grease for switch have you uh, played, those are all have you played Gris, have you played gris before or Grease or i forget i don't know how to pronounce it but uh i haven't i played a little bit of it i i only basically started it and i didn't have the music on so sure. i finished so I, it i finished it one sitting it was pretty good okay cool i am definitely a game i've been it's on my list to play how long is it uh maybe three hours maybe okay perfect yeah nice and short all right uh, I mentioned I have I bought a PSP game that you probably would be like right on. Um, I got the standard edition of Metal Gear Solid Portable Ops finally. Oh, look at that! Because uh, what a gem! I, <laughs> I see the. Is this game suck or what? It's it's difficult. <laughs> okay, it's, it's um, doesn't control great on the PSP. I see plus all the time, but I would never see the original release of the game, and so. I finally picked that up at uh, at Mojo's. So the funny thing about that is that the plus version does not include the entirety of that game plus extra stuff. the The plus stuff is just extra stuff. It doesn't that's have. That's why. Yeah. That's why I wanted the other version of the game. <laughs> just straight ass. <laughs> yeah. Weird. Uh, I got one PS3 game, which I can't believe I didn't own already, and maybe I do own it, and I'll put it away and be like, "I'm a dumbass." Uh, <laughs> Because actually, I I did that with uh, the stupid Digimon Switch game, where which comes with both on the cartridge. I bought a second copy of that. Uh, <laughs> so I bought uh, the God of War Origins Collection, uh, the standard non greatest hits version of the game. 
Nice. And then I got two Nintendo DS games that I'd never seen before, and they were brand new. Um, and they, they both originally were from Fleet Farm. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I got Hands-On 10 Grams, and I got Puzzle City. Puzzle City. I- have you seen any of these before? No, but they're blatantly ripping off Tetris pieces on the cover of that box. Hell yeah, they are. <laughs> <laughs> and the the hands-on Tengram one, when I looked it up online, the the cover is different online than the one that I have. So I don't know what that's about. Oh boy. Um, so uh, the last game I have, I'm totally going to be destroying. Um, I got a copy of PGA Tour 96, and I bought this because I'm going to have a friend of mine write an EEPROM with a the ROM of a modified version of Gradius 3, and I also need to buy a board adapter so that way I can solder the the ROM onto this cartridge. And the reason I'm going to do that is that PGA Tour and Mario RPG and a couple other cartridges have a coprocessor on the the cartridge for this game that is more powerful than what or it, it helps the Super Nintendo and so it offloads some of the work and so Gradius 3 has a ridiculous amount of slowdown in the second level it like crawls to a halt almost and if you put the modified ROM onto this cartridge, you can play Gradius 3 as it was originally intended. And um, they've they've done these modified ROMs for uh, Contra 3, Super Mario World, uh, Race Driven, and a couple others. And if I'm successful with doing this with Gradius, I'm going to try and do that with the other four games as well and have a a retro kind of remod whatever the hell you want to call it and i'll have a better version of of the game than they originally intended playable on my super nintendo and i think that's pretty nice. awesome that, that so that that's like wild greg kind of shit you're getting into <laughs> so yeah. I, I respect that i respect what you're doing so <laughs> just so you know i uh when i emailed the guy that makes the 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 adapter board that you need I emailed him asking if I can get 10 of them from him because I figured that that someone that I know might also want to do it. So <laughs> so if you want to get into it, uh, I, I, I might be able to get extras so that way we can potentially do it together. Uh, rounding it out, and this is the last thing I promise, um, <laughs> I was Good at Preplay the other day, and on the top of all of their Nintendo instruction manuals was this. Uh, I got a super, I got a copy of Secret of Mana, the instruction manual for a dollar. <laughs> Why would they? Okay, well, they sell all of their instruction manuals for only a dollar, and most of them are garbage. But that one was directly on top, and I was like, "Oh, sweet God, yes, please." That's so. Re- uh, that, that's great, man. Great find, Jesus. Yep. So I, I still don't have a. Uh, box for it but i got a cartridge i got the manual i'm i'm 75 percent of the or 66.66 percent of the way there 
to a complete version of that game. All right. <laughs> All right. Now that I've wasted 35 minutes of everybody's time, uh, Greg, what is in your I, pickup pile this week? I get to go. <laughs> Sweet. Um, so, yeah. So I, I'm sorry. That'll be next month when we come back. <laughs> it, it's going to be like that every time. We're going to have to do a weekly podcast where it's just what we picked up in the month. I mean, that's a great idea, though. Like, right? Like, every month we just do our pickup pile, and it's like we just go over all the games. Um, it's just three hours long. Three hours of just talking about all the stuff we get to have that nobody else does. Isn't, isn't that fun for you guys? Or is that fun for the listeners, getting to hear all the cool stuff we have that you don't? Um, anyway, so, yes, like we alluded to, well, we mentioned earlier, I got my HDMI modded Dreamcast. I got my Pokemon Sword plus Sword expansion pass all on the cart. For Sega Saturn, I got a copy of Darius Gaiden. Nice. Um, on PS4, I got Escape from Tethys. This was from. This is from Signature Edition Games, I think. Okay. Oh, Red Art Games. Sorry, Red Art Games. Uh, and then I got. This is from like a a new. This is from that first Press Games. This was, I think, their first game. Rival Mega Gun. It's a shmup. And then I got a physical copy of Rain World on PS4, and I, I got a physical oh, cool. copy of Horizon Chase Turbo. But it's actually kind of fun for racer. It's nice and nice. Oh, and, yeah, yeah. Nice and simple. Um, it's and, it, That one's basically like Outrun almost, isn't it? Pretty much, yeah. And then I got two games from Strictly Limited. I got Coffee Talk, and yep. I got Bite the Bullet. Okay. And then the last two are pretty cool. Uh, I got a Genesis complete copy of Death and Return of Superman. So that's okay. a, a beat-em-up, but you play as the different Superman during the Death and Return that, of Superman story. Isn't that game by Blizzard? Uh, No, it's Sunsoft. I guess I don't know I who technically actually made it. the developer is Blizzard. Really? I don't remember hearing about that. I mean, it's certainly possible. doesn't ring a bell to me, but... Feel free to feel free to tell me I'm wrong on Twitter later. Nice, yeah. Somebody do or that. Or I will, or I will tell you you're wrong on Twitter later. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then lastly, this one I also ordered from that first press games place, but they they had a reproduction NES game called Project Blue, and on the back hmm. the graphics look very similar to like Metroid. Um, but it's, uh, this, this is the back of the box cyberpunk action hidden in the outskirts of the D zone. A secret bioweapons lab is conducting unspeakable experiments on homeless youth from the concrete wasteland. Um, so yeah, so it's basically supposed to be, uh, it's 256 screens, 22 songs, three layer changing difficulty modes and secret rooms and alternate routes. So, I don't know. Just kind of cool. I'm, I'm really big into NES homebrew, especially like physical cart versions of it. So when you see something, I saw something like that, and like the art's really cool on it, and the game looks good. You got to get it. So, um, and that's it, everybody. That is it. We uh, that is uh, everything for the show today. We had our pickup piles. We talked about different uh, avenues of collecting. Um, once again, thank you, Hack Diesel, for the question, uh, for the whole topic, really, for the whole podcast, man. That was great. Uh, I I loved talking about that. I really love talking about. Uh, collecting trends and, and price trends at the store. Like it's something I'm, I'm well-versed on, but uh, like, you know, like to share. Um, remember you can follow. Well, first of all, remember that you can send us topics too. tweet at us. We're, we're open, man. We're, we're here to listen. We're, we're not too good to, to chat with the people that listen. Believe me. Uh, I'm at game trade, Greg on Twitter. John's at dryer combo uh, hit us up, you know, but uh, I just want to thank you again, everybody and kind of remind you what I said at the beginning of the show. You know, I'm not sure when the next episode's going to be, 
whether it's Game Talk Radio or whether it's a new show that we try to check out, um, no matter what, it'll all be right here. If that wasn't clear in the beginning, it's always going to show up on this channel. So, like, if you're if you're listening on Spotify or or SoundCloud or Apple iTunes, like, it's going to come your way. We're going to feed it to you. Um, it's always going to come through the same avenue. So, I should have been more clear about that, probably. But, um, but so I'm not sure when the next one's going to be. If if John and I get some stuff hammered out, maybe we already get the concepts going. Maybe we won't miss a, a beat. But it might be a couple weeks too. Um, but we'll kind of see where it goes. I think the longer, like, a little bit more time in between, I think, gives us a little more. I don't know, a little more to work with, I think. But in any case, thank you as always for listening and watching. I I really do so appreciate it. Say goodbye, John. Have a good one. And we'll talk to you next week. We'll see you later. Maybe talk to you next week. But we're going to see you later (laughs) sometime. All right, have a good one. Bye-bye.